1: a jump a block it's only a serve it's only a tackle a run it's only for the fans after all it's only pressure you got this
2: adidas
0: you can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything you might shop while working
1: And I think it's on YouTube also. It's just looked up Sleeping Beauties" Jamie Babbitt. But I'm sure it's a crappy version. But um, that won't stop any lesbians. <laughs> no, I know. And <laughs> Clea's so cute in it. It's so cute. <laughs> I'm ducking out. You're ducking out. Let's duck out together.
0: See what it's all.
3: Hi, and welcome to Diking Out, a podcast that's on vacation. I'm Melody Kamali. Carolyn is in Europe, and I'm in Los Angeles, where I gotta say, the gayest thing I did this week was absolutely cry-watching the Curve magazine documentary Ahead of the Curve on my flight here yesterday. Now, this is a documentary I've seen before, I've discussed before on this podcast, but I was... Bawling. I know everything hits harder in the sky, but if you've seen this documentary, you know it is so powerful, it warrants a cry. And if you haven't, please watch it as soon as you can. Past guest Amber Heard is featured in it, and so is recent guest the Dinah founder Mariah Hansen. Now this was a Delta flight, the Ally Airline. I'm a Delta Dyke, and a lot of Dykes I know have also been watching this documentary on flights recently, which leads me to believe that this is the preferred airline of U.S. sapphics. Though, when I landed, we did pull up to a decked out Pride edition of a JetBlue airplane, which is wild. I I had no idea we were pinkwashing planes now. Did we know this? it had rainbow planes all over it. And in rainbow colors, it said fly with pride. So jury's out on Biggest Ally Airline until I find out exactly what lesbian programming they offer on their in-flight entertainment. Anyway, since we're both traveling for the rest of September, we're going to be re-releasing some of our favorite episodes over the next few weeks. We'll still be active on our Discord, which you can get at the $10 a month level of our Patreon at patreon.com slash out. And we'll still be performing. Carolyn's going to be making a pit stop in New York between Europe and Palm Springs for the Dinah. And she'll be putting on her Love's a Pit show September 17th at Come On Everybody in Brooklyn. More info on Carolyn's Instagram at TGI Carolyn. And if you're in the LA area, I've got shows every night this week, and those are listed at Melody Kamali. Since we are still flying high from binging A League of Their Own and binging it again. We've chosen episodes that are relevant to this current obsession. We're going to start with our conversation with director-producer Jamie Babbitt, who directed the first three episodes of the A League of Their Own reboot series. She is also the director of the iconic film, But I'm a Cheerleader, We spoke to Jamie just before But I'm a Cheerleader was re-released as a director's cut with a few extra scenes and in 4K Ultra HD, so definitely check that out if you haven't. Jamie is also known for her movies Itty Bitty Titty Committee and Addicted to Fresno, and for directing episodes of literally all of our favorite TV shows. Seriously, just look at her IMDb. Uh, She has done it all. Let's get into it.
2: Jamie Babbitt, lesbian icon and true hero of the queer community. Thank you for diking out with us today.
3: I love
1: diking out. Let's do it. Thank you, Jamie. We
3: are such big fans and we could start like a lot of interviews with you probably start by just listing your IMDB page, but we only have an hour of your time. So I'd love to start instead by asking first, what is the gayest thing you did this last week? We
1: ask all of our guests. I mean, the gayest thing I did this week is have sex with my girlfriend, obviously.
3: I, <laughs> I, I tried to say that. Carolyn said sex wasn't, didn't count. We had to be more creative. Well, because
2: we have to do it every yeah, week. That's true. So if we said sex every week. We can
3: count your sex. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, guess sex is fine. <laughs>
3: okay,
1: thanks. It's just so gay, so, you yeah, know. It's the
2: gayest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're also wearing stripes right now, which I consider gay. Cool. Right? Can we say right now, stripes
3: are
1: gay? Oh, yeah. Is that a thing? And okay.
3: you know we're talking to a daikon right now because I did sweat. I had brow sweat over what I was going to wear. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I was like, should I wear a hat? No, what? I never... <laughs> <laughs> I um, tried to find my Luke's Diner shirt in your honor. Unfortunately, it's dirty. I do wear it a lot, <laughs> so.
1: Love it. Although I will say, having directed 18 episodes of Gilmore Girls... Luke Steiner was always a stressful shoot, I will say, because those two actors did not really get along.
3: Oh, really? Oh, yeah? (laughs) Oh, man, I could already imagine it being a tense set with the dense script. Yes. So that on top of it sounds uh, like a lot.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That's a lot of paragraphs to get through. I've never looked at a Gilmore Girls script, but I'm sure it's got some heft to it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot for the poor actors. And it's all word perfect, so they're getting it. Right. And it's like, okay, you have to get every and the but. Um oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of dialogue. So yeah. much. So yeah.
2: The first question I want to ask you is that for like a whole generation of dykes and lesbians, but I'm a cheerleader is one of the first, if not the first, gay movie that a lot of us were exposed to. I think especially around my age. I want to know what's the first gay movie that you saw? It's funny.
1: The reason I made But I'm a Mature Leader is because there were no good gay movies when I was around, when I was a youngster. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, first gay movie I saw was probably Incredibly True Adventure of Two Girls in Love. But I saw that about five minutes before I made But I'm a Mature Leader. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, I guess that is kind of why uh, But I'm a Cheerleader is the first one for a lot of us. Canon, yeah. Right. I remember, like, I was so young when it came out that, like, I obviously I couldn't go out and see it anywhere or buy it. So I was just like on Kazaa just trying to download (laughs) the scene of Clea and Natasha
3: together (laughs) and just trying to find a file that wasn't going to eat my computer. Oh, man. I know exactly where it was in our blockbuster. I can tell you exactly like what corner of the blockbuster (laughs) and what shelf it was on. (laughs) I love it.
1: it. Did you guys know it was a gay movie based on, because the cover you couldn't really tell, or could you?
3: No, I had no idea. And I actually, that made for an awkward sleepover with my friends. We rented it in high school. Um, We kind of thought it'd be like a clueless, and it is like a gay clueless. um, But I (laughs) had no idea it was going to be gay, and (laughs) because it's still super closeted. Um, So I had to (laughs) later in life rent it and like thoroughly watch it on my own. (laughs)
1: Did your friends like it or were they like, Oh God, everyone's gay. Or were they like, Oh yeah, I was fine. They really liked it. They, we all liked a lot of
3: campy stuff back then. Yeah. So that was perfect.
1: Great. I was yeah. a huge clueless fan. So that was definitely one of the movies that marked me as a kid, like watching that movie. I was like, oh, I want to make a movie like that. So then in my twenties, like early twenties, I was like, I want to make a gay movie like that. Yes. Um, and they're, yeah, just, I mean, incredibly true adventure of True Girls in Love. I really liked it because it was also kind of a romantic comedy that was really fun. But I liked just the colorful nature of Clueless. And yeah. um, I wanted to do something that kind of wasn't set in reality. It was a little more pushed into fantasy. Right.
3: Yeah. It was like a Riot Girl Clueless ma- mix somehow. Yeah. <laughs> right Which, which
1: kind of sounds like me. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So. <laughs> And then for me, I know
2: that I was just like researching anything I could about like lesbian and lesbian culture on the Internet when I was coming out. And that was like the one movie that kept coming up like over and over. I'm like, what is this movie? I need to see it. I want to know, how did you come up with the idea to use Natasha Leone as a tool to recruit lesbians? Uh, And do you get residuals every time she appears gay in a project that you're not involved in? (laughs)
1: I do not, but I did make fun on, we were laughing about it on um, Russian Doll when we were working together. And I said, you know, Natasha, thank you so much for basically playing me in my story and being a part of my imagination in But I'm A Mature Leader. And now it's so cool, you know, 20 years later to go into your imagination and direct your world and your fantasy and your story Um, Because Russian Doll is so personal to her. Mm -hmm. So I was like, we've done this really intimate, like, creative share with each other, which is so cool. And I said, and let's also remember, I did make you a gay icon. You're welcome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. And she's like, yeah, but I'm straight. I'm like, I know, I know. Well, sure, but you still love lesbians. And she's like, "Oh yeah, 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 I do, I do. But, like, if I was a lesbian, I'd be cleaning up. I'm like, I know, I know. Oh, yeah, big time.
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I recently put the question out there of uh, how many times does a a straight actress play gay until they are a lesbian icon and someone said as many times as Natasha Lyonne?
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So I mean I I would define the one thing I love about your generation and the generation below you guys is just the whole concept of queer has really caught on and it's just such a better way to talk about people because Natasha is the ultimate queerdo. <laughs> yeah. So, she's just very queer. She's not totally straight, but you know, she probably is like romantically and sexually more interested in men, but But she's definitely a queerdo. So, queerdo for life, you know. (laughs)
3: And she's got the energy. Yeah. And then her character in the movie um, played a very, you know, goody two shoes. Christian, I believe, uh, cheerleader who is clearly gay, but there are a lot of times where she's very um, over the top. uh, What comes to mind, especially is her makeout scenes with her boyfriend Um, (laughs) (laughs) really, really conveyed visually a feeling there. Um, (laughs) Was that something you had in mind for the character or did she bring that? Did it evolve into that?
1: It's funny, I never pictured the make the makeout scene with the boyfriend in the car. We actually shot that the first day. Oh, really? And yeah. And you can see one problem I had on the first day was her wig. It just looked way too blonde and it looked a lot like a wig. So you if you watch it again, you'll see like the opening <laughs> cheerleader scenes. She's wearing this like really long blonde wig in the high school and stuff. And then later it gets slightly browner and a little more like realistic. <laughs> um, but she's wearing that bad wig in the makeout with the boyfriend. And um, I did never expect her to be that funny when, like, (laughs) her eyes bugging out while she was hanging out with him. But I was so delighted. Like, I was just at Video Village watching it on the monitor going, I never would have pictured it being like this, but I'm so happy. (laughs) It's so weird and cool, and she's so funny.
2: Yeah. It kind of sets the tone for a lot of the humor, I think, in the rest of the movie. But yeah, that part, definitely. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And even her, like, ridiculous cheerleading. I mean, she, like, went to yeshiva. She's, like... Is like, yo, Jamie, what's up? And then she's playing a cheerleader one second later, like, kill the Rangers! You know, it was just like really funny being on set too, watching her channel, what in her idea was a Ohio cheerleader, which I actually, to be fair, was not a cheerleader. I was like a theater dork, but um, but I've always had like a sunny disposition, and I am from Ohio, and um, I would consider myself a femme as far as lesbians go, mm-hmm. so I could pass as straight which is kind of a curse in a way, especially in high school. Um, <laughs> so those were all the things I wanted to talk about in the film. And Natasha really, you know, read the script and sort of studied me and was like, Oh, you're like, she used to call me Nancy Kerrigan. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um So, yeah, she just channeled that, like, positivity and, you know, and that was her character choice.
2: When you said before that that was kind of, uh, like, a little bit based on you, like, were you that obviously gay but oblivious to it, do you think? Yes,
1: 100%. Yeah. I mean, I kind of knew, but not really. I didn't really know any femme lesbians. I just knew butch lesbians. So I was, like, just confused about myself because I thought, well, I'm terrible at sports. I'm, like, scared of all the, like, field hockey, like, lacrosse, like, brutish lesbian girls. Um, Relatable. Yeah. yeah, So I was like, am I gay? Like, I'm hot for my friends, but, like, I don't – yeah, I just was confused. I was like, was I supposed to be butch, but I'm terrible? Like, I just – I couldn't figure it out, so.
2: Do you remember what direction you gave to Natasha for the um, the end-of-the-movie cheer scene to win Clea back?
1: So what's funny about that scene is originally it was an actual cheer where she did like a cartwheel and (laughs) some like basic cheerleading stuff. And it was so bad. And (laughs) she has no idea how to do anything related to cheerleading. And so I shot that day and it was obviously based on that sequence. You can see I had a lot of people to deal with. It was like a big scene, a big scene, a big scene. Right. So the worst part of that scene was Natasha's cheer. It was terrible. And my editor called me and she said, "Um, Jamie, you've got to reshoot Natasha's performance because it's just not, it's just really bad. And it's not her fault. Like, did you give her cheerleading lessons? I'm like, no, I guess I just thought she could do it. But, like, you actually have to go to, like, cheer camp. And you guys have seen the documentary. Like, you have to work your ass off. Yeah, (laughs) like, Natasha's, like, from New York. She went to Yeshiva. Like, she can't do any of that.
3: (laughs) She's no Ladarius.
1: So I said to my editor, I'm like, okay, well, what should I do? And she's like, why don't you just shoot a close-up of Natasha and just change it? Instead of it being a cheer, make it, like, spoken word, really, like, thoughtful kind of poetry and, um, just like intense and emotional and forget about like actual cheerleading. And I'm like, okay, you're right. You're right. Like Natasha can do that. So I said to the financier, I'm like, okay, sorry, I need to reshoot just Natasha. And he's like, you know, that's so expensive. We can't go back. And I said, okay, how about if I literally just have Natasha and I'll just do a close up of Natasha, no one else will be there. I'll put a piece of tape on a C stand that she can look at and pretend it's Clea. <laughs> and I'll just shoot her. So if you watch the sequence, you can see in Natasha's close up, the tree behind her has no leaves on it. And when I shot the actual scene, the tree has leaves on it (laughs) because it was like a month later that I shot it. Oh my God. It's so funny. And I just, you know, Natasha's a really good actress. And so I just reconceptualized it and just said, okay, Natasha, it's like spoken word. Just say it really intensely. Like when she's like, I love you. And like, this is fate. Like all that. She was literally talking to a piece of tape. Like no one was (laughs) there. No one was there. (laughs) Yeah. It's so like tender and emotional. I love it. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. Guys, the magic of filmmaking. It It was that music and it was total bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. it was. Thank God I pulled that out of my ass. There was a lot of like crazy saves in that movie. And that's the thing about filmmaking that's really fun, but also really hard is that there are times where you just totally fuck up a scene, you know, like, I mean, it was one shot, one performance that I did not get. I just did a bad job and it was my fault. And, um, and you know, other sometimes in some cases, I think filmmakers are like, well, it's, I did it. And so it must be brilliant. And now I'm going to put it in the movie. But I was like, I've always questioned myself enough to be like, Oh, right. It's terrible. I need to make it better. And I'm okay. And I actually think that's, like a gift of being a woman that Mm. we're like more open to things being a process rather than like, I'm brilliant. Let's just, it's perfect. (laughs) You know, like I'm willing to work hard. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, you're right. It totally sucks. I have to fix it. And thank God because the movie would not work without that. So think. Yeah. That was, that was a save. but I also had Natasha and I also got to go for one shot and you know, there was a lot of things I had to fight for, but I did, I did get that. So that was great.
3: Yeah. You have to, I think, strike a balance between that impulse, um, to like correct and make sure you got it right. But then to like, let things go and not obsess over things that you don't even try in the first place. Exactly. And then Clea. Can you tell us about how you started working with her? We know she acted in a short you had that came out before, but I'm a cheerleader. But uh, as far as, like, how you met, in our minds, you met in a very Planet-esque cafe in L.A. Um,
1: (laughs) Yes. Seriously? True. (laughs) Because, like, that's how I picture it, at least. (laughs) How did she come into your life? Yeah. So there was a – there literally was a cafe. So Clea is, like, a generation under me, but she – uh, had like graduated from high school early, was living on her own, had two jobs, had like a whole life set up. So even though I was older than her, I think I was like 25 when I met her and she was 18, 17, something like that. She had her whole life and one of her jobs she had was at a coffee shop. And, uh, every time I went to the coffee shop, she was so cute. And she'd be like, do you want a free cappuccino? And like would serve me and give me free shit. (laughs) So we talked and she was like, yeah, I just graduated from high school and I want to be an actor. And I was like, oh, I just moved to LA. I want to be a director. Do you have an agent? And she did at the time, but it was like some really weird agent who only represented the woman who, was in the Where's the Beef commercial. <laughs> Are you serious?
3: <laughs> just her. <laughs> Not even the Grey Poupon like guy. Clea. Just like, just. <laughs> no. Was
1: the Where's the Beef lady and Clea. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh, well, I'm going to make a short film, but I need to, like, get a job and make some money first, and you should be in it. And she was like, okay, cool. And so... I wrote a short film that was based on the Sleeping Beauty's fairy tale. And I was like, Clea is a perfect Prince Charming because she's so cute. And um, she is like, she's just like a little cowboy, you know, uh, gentleman stud. And so, but I was nervous because it had taken me like a really hard job and a lot of stress to raise the money for the short. So I was like, I mean, she's cute and all and she's, gives great, you know, I get all this free coffee, but like, can she really act? I don't know. And so I took myself really seriously, obviously, because I was like, I need this short to like start my career. And so I made her come to my apartment and audition for the part, but the part, the name was Clea in the script. (laughs) And Clea was so (laughs) mad at me. She was furious. She was like, we're friends. I can't believe you're making me audition. This is such bullshit. And I was like, look, I'm a professional director. Like I need to know if you can act. I don't know if you can or not. And um, so it was like kind of a weird moment in our friendship. And by the way, she was terrible at oh, the audition. Really? <laughs> she was so nervous. And she was just like yelling at me the whole time. I'd probably
3: be most nervous for auditioning <laughs> for a friend.
1: Yeah, of course. So she was really nervous. But after the audition, I was like, the cool thing about Clea, is she just underplays everything, which is the easiest thing for a film director. Because mm. when people underplay, it always comes across as mm. real. the The hardest thing is people who overplay, which is like, Sucks because it's a lot of kids who come out of kid acting. They really encourage mm-hmm. you to overact, or like theater right. people, because they encourage you to overact. But Cleo was so perfect because she had been raised in LA and the only acting classes she had taken were like acting for film. Right. Yeah. So yeah. she was really small. And I was like, okay, well, that's great. At least she's not like overacting. Um, but she kept hiding her face with her hands while we were doing the audition. And I'm like, Clea, I can't even see your face. She's like, well, I'm hiding because I'm really nervous. I'm like, it's literally a medium of your face. Like you have to take your hands out of your face. Anyway, she's always been like my kid sister where I'm like yelling at her and she's like being a brat back. So that dynamic remains until today.
3: That's awesome. Did you have, any advice for her in her directing endeavor with The Happiest Season? Did you talk to her throughout that at all?
1: We did talk about it, but it's funny. I feel like she was other people she showed the film to and got comments and stuff. And I always like left myself open for that, where I was like, Clea, I'm happy to talk to you. I'm happy to give you notes. And she never did. I think it's because I make her nervous, honestly. No. <laughs> Uh, So I'll be seeing it with the rest of the world on Thanksgiving weekend that I can't wait. Yeah. seriously.
2: Yes. So you're re-releasing, but I'm a cheerleader, but a director's cut and it's 20 years later. What was that like to revisit the movie in that way?
1: It was really cool because I actually got a phone call from Lionsgate and they said, you know, there's some movies in our catalog. One is American Psycho. One is, but I'm a cheerleader. That... Like, we don't have, we never did a good release of the film. And Mm. so it's, like, hard to find and it doesn't have DVD extras and it's um, just, it's not, like, a great quality uh, transfer. Um, So they were, like, you know, over time certain movies just kind of stick out and we realized we didn't really do them justice and yours is one of those films. And I was, like, that's so awesome that you guys are going to, do a better job at just keeping it in the archive. Um, yeah. So they were like, you know, we want to do a 4K. So I shot it in film, you know, in 2000. So it's been, uh, they had to do like a lot of digital work on the print and, you know, a lot of stuff, but so much better for preservation for the film too, to just have like better sound. Yeah. I, it, so they invested a lot of money in the movie, which is exciting. And then they said, well, look, now that we're going to be preserving it in a better way and re-releasing it, would you like to put any scenes back in the film since we have to go back to all the negative and everything anyway? And I was like, you know what? There was always a couple scenes that I regret cutting out of the film. Um, One of them was my favorite scene, which was... um, when Kathy Moriarty's character is playing music for all the rehabbers. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yes. And the reason it's one of my favorite scenes is because when I was growing Mm -hmm. up, so the movie's kind of autobiographical in that my mom ran a rehab Mm -hmm. and it was a drug and alcohol rehab, but it was also for kids. And our house was like the one town over and we spent all our holidays there. And like I was raised and spent a ton of time at this rehab. And my mom would always have like, guitar, sit around the fire with all the residents and like sing songs. And I remember when I got older in college and I heard a Joni Mitchell song, I thought that the lyrics to it were, I've looked at drugs from both sides now, but still somehow (laughs) it's drug delusions. I recall, I really don't like drugs at all because when I was growing up, that's what my mom always sang. (laughs) And I was so confused that that actually wasn't the lyrics of the song. That's so <laughs> So fun. I was like, I have to put a scene like that in But I'm A Mature Leader where they learn like a regular song, but it has new lyrics that have to do with like, you know, getting, getting better from being gay. Um,
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, and it has no plot point. So I know why I cut it out long ago. But it's a short little scene, and it just meant a lot to me. And so I was so glad to put it back in the film.
2: Yeah, I love that. That was a nice little
3: yeah, payoff yeah. moment. Are you doing commentary on the DVD? Yes.
1: Yes. So we did, I did, well, that was also really fun. We did actors. It was COVID, so it was perfect because everyone was available. Oh, yeah. So we did actors commentary with like 15 of the actors, which was great. Just like a lot of them who don't even, they're not even acting anymore. They're Oh, doing that's, like, yeah other cool jobs. And, uh, one of the actors, Kathy Moriarty had never seen the film and she literally just saw it before we did the DVD commentary. She'd never seen it. She'd never seen it.
2: (laughs) Who is she? Adam driver. Yeah.
1: Yeah. She'd never seen it. And it was actually a gay friend of hers was like, you haven't seen it. It's so good. It's a classic. You got to watch it. And she was like, yeah, it was pretty good. Jamie was pretty good. I was like, wow, we have a fan like 20 years later. (laughs) <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really cool. And then we also did a DVD commentary that was just the creative team. So it was me, the production designer and the costume designer, which was fun because that was such a huge part of the movie was the design of the film. And right. the three of us just had a really good rapport. So it was remembering kind of how we came to the look of the film, which was really great. And then they also included, um, in the new release, some short films of mine, which is pretty funny. Uh, oh, awesome. Yeah. Does that include the one with Clea? Clea? You know, they, they couldn't do that, but you can see it online at jamiebabbitt.com. I put it up on my website, but it's oh, nice. my inspiration for the short that Clea was in. Um, and I think it's on YouTube also. It's just look up sleeping beauties, Jamie Babbitt, but I'm sure it's a crappy version, but, um, that won't
2: stop any lesbian. No, I know. Oh. and Clea's <laughs> so cute in
1: it. It's so cute. <laughs> it's Rose McGowan plays the dead, uh, the dead woman and Clea gets, you know, gets, gets is the Prince Charming. But, um, and it was at Sundance, I think like two years before cheerleader or something. And it looked really beautiful. I shot it in film also. Um, it was similar in like the colors and the stylized thing that I was doing. in cheerleader was the short for sure. Um, but the big inspiration for the short film was this Disney music, the like 40, 1940s really weird, I'm wishing, I yeah. <laughs> like that really weird like Prince Princess music. And yeah. so that's all over the movie. And clearly Disney's never giving me the rights for that music. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> so. But I love that music. It's so weird and creepy. And like, I, I couldn't imagine the film with any other music. So I was like, well, I'll never sell it or be able to put it anywhere, but I could just release it on the internet and then no one, you know, whatever. Yeah. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein
3: I'm going to have to get this DVD because I actually want to ask you about the look and feel and how, like, because it has a very distinct campy pink uh, look to it. I wanted to know, like, what inspired that. And, like, if you remember the descriptors you said to the costume designer, the art department for that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was inspired by some movies that we all watched together. So there was a French movie called My Life in Pink. Um, Mon Vie Rouge and it was about I think today you would say a gender non-conforming kid who lives in like a pink fantasy land and it was so beautiful yeah so I definitely gave that to the designer and then I was really inspired by Edward Scissored Hands like the suburban that's what the vibe that it gave
2: me yeah yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Um, but that was like a you know 50 million dollar movie and we had like one million dollars so it was like on the cheap <laughs> Um and then there was uh this other gay filmmaker um he uh did this movie called Pink Narcissus which is really beautiful it's kind, it's like porn kind of it was like gay porn i mean it's definitely like hardcore porn um <laughs> but in this really like stylized world it's such a cool mix of like two genres so that was a big in- influence too, and the director of Pink Narcissus is his guy James Bidgood. So yeah, I was like inspired by a lot of queer artists, honestly, and I was inspired by the Barbie Dreamhouse. Oh yeah. So I gave the Good Barbie Dreamhouse to the designer, and I said, like, I want the <laughs> I want new directions to, or true directions to look like the Barbie Dreamhouse because that to me was such a perfect emblem of conforming to your gender. Yeah, which is sort of what the ridiculousness of the movie. I was just trying to say, like, just because you're more feminine, more masculine uh, doesn't mean that you're any less gay because that's what was so confusing to me because I was always like a girly girl and I loved Barbies and I loved like all that stuff. But then I was like super gay, too. So I wanted (laughs) to kind of poke fun at all that stuff. And when you
2: were asked to revisit the film, how long had it been since you last watched it?
1: You know, I think I had watched it the year before because they screened it in Brooklyn at some cool theater that they invited me to. And I was like, oh, I don't know. It's hard sometimes for filmmakers to watch their own films because you just see like all the mistakes and stuff. But I did go because my daughter was in town and she's 15 and I was like, have you ever seen But I'm a Cheerleader? And she was like, no. I was like, all right, well, it's playing in Brooklyn. Do you want to go? And she was like, not really. And I was like, Mom, you know, let's just go and you can see it. And so she, I brought her to see it. And I think it was, I don't know, she'll never tell me, but I think it was probably inspiring just because it was sold out. It was like so many cool queer people that were so excited about it
2: I was going to say, it probably upped your cool factor with her. She's like, ugh, my mom's cool. Yeah, but like she was kind of annoyed,
1: too. Like, ugh, why? You know? I don't know. Um, But yeah, I think, and then afterwards, I was like, did you like it? And she was like, I did. I liked it. It was good. So, you know, that's what I get.
2: (laughs) What were some of the challenges you came across in trying to make this movie in 1999 when there really weren't? studios putting out movies like that, people investing any money?
1: I mean, the good thing about me is that I really was so young and I really hated the studio system at the time. Even though I loved Clueless, I just had no faith that that system was ever going to give me a career or money or give a shit about anything I had to do. So I was really like grossed out by Hollywood and... I was really into Riot Grrrl music and I was really into indie film community. So there were a lot of cool filmmakers like Todd Haynes and his short Superstar I had seen, which is like, if you guys haven't seen that, look at that on YouTube. Um, If you Mm -hmm. look up Superstar, it's a Barbie version. He used actual Barbies to tell the story of Karen Carpenter and her gay brother and her like, you know, death from uh, anorexia. And yeah. it's so weird and so cool. And so I was just like really inspired by like underground indie films. And I was living in New York and really into like Riot girl underground music. And I was just kind of like the status quo is so lame and like sexist and they're never going to help me. So fuck those people. And so when I made the short and went to Sundance with it, I felt very um, empowered by all of the young 20-something directors that were just doing it without needing approval from some stupid studio system. And my girlfriend uh, was part of the kind of L.A. queer filmmaking scene, and she had produced Gregoraki's movies in L.A. So there was definitely like a weird, arty underground. And um, at Sundance with Sleeping Beauties, I met the financier who gave me the money for Cheerleader. And he saw the short and he really liked it. And he really liked Clea. And I was like, hey, he was like, I'm starting a film company. I like worked at Prudential Insurance last year, but now I want to get into the film business. And he was like, you know, in his 30s, um, so old. And uh, (laughs) I said, well, how about, you know, you see this short and I could do a movie like this with Clea and let's just be in the festival next year with like a feature film, which would be so cool. And we'd help us both. And he was like, Oh, that'd be great. Do you have a script? And I'm like, yeah, I do. Um, and so that was been a mature leader. And I think a lot of filmmakers have moments like that with people and if they people are kind of full of shit and don't actually have the money, but right. he really did. I mean, he was like a investment banker from uh, right near Greenwich, Connecticut And uh, he really wanted to get into the film business. So um, he was like, you know, how much money do you need? And I said, well, I think like 500000 I could make a movie for that. Um, And he was like, okay, cool. And so as soon as I got back from that Sundance, uh, we started, you know, casting and started doing the whole thing. And then once we got Clea, who was obviously my friend at this point, she was friends with Natasha. So that's how we got Natasha. And then you know, we just started auditioning people. And so then it was Kathy Moriarty and RuPaul and all these different people. And then I said to the financier, um, was like a straight, you know, kind of banker bro, uh, but very cool. And I said, Hey, you know, I, like I appreciate the 500, but I actually think I'm going to need more because now all these people are not going to get like dressed in the car and stuff. Like I feel like we have to give them like a professional environment. And he was like, okay, Like I obviously can give you more money and I'm happy to do it, but it's just more risk for me. So if I like spend more money, then I would just want to take more of the risk on, in which case, like if the movie does really well, I would get more, you would get less. And I was like, you know what? I don't care about like making money on this movie. I really just want a career and I just want to make the film. So like, that's totally Mm -hmm. fine. And I don't regret that. I think that was a really smart decision. And um, I'm so happy the movie got made. I will say I have never received one penny for the film. Yeah, I was going to say,
3: it's not like it was like union or. No, so I've never gotten
1: a penny from it. Never one penny. Yeah. Yeah. But a full career. (laughs) Exactly. So, and I got to make the movie I wanted to make. And he said to me, look, I'll never tell you how to make the film but you can't tell me how to do the business side of it. And I was like, no, absolutely. Like you're a businessman. I get it. You do your thing and I'm going to do my thing. And he was very true to his word. Like he did not fuck with me at all creatively. Like he was just very supportive. Pretty ideal. Yeah. (laughs) Except for like, I see it on HBO and I mean, you know, and they're re-releasing it and I know it's done very well for him, which I'm happy for him. But yeah, sometimes I'm like, well, it would have been great if I had gotten like a dollar or if I even like didn't have to buy my own DVD from Amoeba, you know?
2: Right. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, and <laughs> what was the reception like initially? Like, was it on the radar enough that you had like angry moms
1: or an- angry queers? Because it does poke more fun. That. At more the, that. More yeah. that. Yeah. More that. Um, no, I, I don't think it was on the radar or not. I mean, I got an NC 17. I think that was just a very conservative environment at the time that didn't like the lesbian stuff in it. Yeah. Um, which was annoying. So that was annoying. The rating was really annoying, but, um, I got a lot of flack from the queer community a lot. And most of the reviewers in 2000 were older gay men who had been like traumatized by AIDS Yeah, And the whole queer community was really traumatized by that plague. It was so awful. And everyone had lost their friends and just no one was laughing. And so then there's this like weird young lesbian coming in, making a comedy where I'm like making fun of the community. And they were really angry. Like I got the meanest reviews I've ever read at Sundance. Terrible. I was really shocked because I was so out of the... I didn't have friends that were, like, older gay men who had been, like, you know, devastated by the community and everything, all the terrible things that had happened. So I understand why they were angry, but I felt like yeah. it was really misdirected. Like, I was like, I'm the new generation. Like, I want to laugh at our community. I'm in the community. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yeah, it was just – and also I think a lot of gay men – didn't really give a shit that it was a lesbian movie because they didn't care, you know. And I, so I think a lot of young gay women loved it, but they had no power. Like, they were like me in their 20s. None of them were reviewers. So I would go to film festivals and it would be, like, teenagers and, like, girls my age, like, around the block to see the movie and, like, crying and, like, going nuts for it. And then I would read these reviews that were like pieces of shit. This movie sucks. <laughs> this fuck this. It's so offensive. And I'm like, wait, what? I don't get it. And I just realized I had like really hit a nerve. Like I have never read an F review in Entertainment Weekly before. If you look up my review of But I'm a Cheerleader when it came out, I got an F. That's not like a C. <laughs> That's an I'm sorry F. To laugh. <laughs> Like I'm going to look it up. It was so terrible, and that I guy don't care who is, wrote it—that's homophobic. Well, I, I please say is. something because I feel like reviewers need to go after reviewers. It's so annoying. But that guy is a head re- reviewer at Variety now. Like these people are oh, still yeah. around.
2: Um, That's insane. Yeah. I would have thought too that gay men would have just appreciated the camp factor
1: of it. Yeah. No, they were like, how dare you? You are you wish you were John Waters. And like, oh, and, and it's a happy ending. Like, that's not what John Waters does. I'm like, I'm not trying to be John Waters. I'm okay. my yeah. own person. Like, give me a break. Uh, the
3: happy ending in a lesbian film is actually uh, revolutionaries.
1: <laughs> I mean, in my point Nobody of view. died. Yeah, exactly. They didn't kill themselves. What a concept. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know. But luckily, I was kind of over everyone anyway. So I was like, well, who cares? Like everyone's always, I don't really like anything that the mainstream is doing. So if the mainstream hates me, that's fine. I don't care. So I just kept going and I'm so glad I did.
2: Well, you direct a lot of mainstream type stuff now. What excites you about an opportunity when you get one? Like what are the things that really make you light up?
1: I mean, obviously, I really like directing queer content. So I just directed the pilot for A League of Their Own. That's going to be on Amazon. <laughs> OK, I got goosebumps <laughs> it, ah. it does, <laughs> to say the title. <laughs> yeah. So in Abby Jacobson and um, Roberta. Uh, oh God. Anyway, it's it's like a very it's l- lots of leses, lots of leses all over it. Um, Roberta Calendras. Yes. From, uh, Vita. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Darcy Cardin from oh, the she's place. So yeah. She's and, so great. um, anyway, it, there's so many amazing, um, queer performers in it, but I had a great time working on that project and they greenlit it. So it's going to be a series on Amazon released next year.
2: It's um, amazing. but it's just, oh,
1: We've been it's, excited for it for a while. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. And it's like we got like real, like, make out scenes with the girls. It's like all the scenes you wanted to see in the original, but you never right. got to. Right. Um, in the show, that's like the whole show is about kind of the queerness of the league, which is all totally based in reality because all of the women that we spoke to and still speak to, um, that are alive from the league are like, yeah, uh, like 70% of the league were lesbians. They were all hooking up. Like now everyone's coming out that they're in their nineties. Right. They just had
2: that, uh, Netflix documentary about it, that, um, Ryan Murphy produced. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Which is so great. And that's like a lot of the women we've talked to, um, who were big inspirations for a lot of the plot lines, like the affairs with the fans, the affairs with girls from other teams, uh, the affairs with the girls who had husbands at home. Um, so these were like a bunch of queer girls finding each other from, you know, small towns across America coming together. And it was like a total gay fun festival. <laughs> so that was super fun to do. But honestly, the other project I'm I'm in Connecticut right now working on is um, Steve Martin wrote it. And uh, it's Martin Short, Steve Martin, Nathan Lane. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, Nefey, like it's a big group of really incredible actors so I like actors I like you know I just like directing it's super fun and I like um working with actors I like um shows that are really visual like one of the best things about Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is just the big scope and the visual fun um I've always been interested in the like set design and just the visual wonder that you can do with movies. Yeah. Especially that um, show. Yeah. That show is so great. And it's like anything I think I want to shoot, I can shoot it. Like they'll support you and they'll let you do it. It's so great. (laughs) Which usually they're like, oh, that's really expensive. Do we have to do it like that? And it's like, no, we don't have to, but it's so cool. Let's do it. You know? Yeah. So, um, so, yeah. So I get excited about a visual opportunity and opportunity with actors. And then, of course, my heart is queer stuff. Like, I love doing that stuff, too. So um, and I frankly, at this point in my career, I'm really enjoying doing TV because there's more money in it and also more people see it. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the movies that I've made even recently, I have a movie coming out at the same time as the 20th anniversary, but I'm a cheerleader. <laughs> Um, a movie I made last year with Drew Barrymore and it's oh, right, just, right. movies, they just, you know, I mean, obviously in COVID it's totally dead, but I feel like that whole, um, system is very different now and TV is more exciting and more hands-off.
3: Is this the one where Drew Barrymore is a bisexual? Uh,
1: she's <laughs> not something? a bisexual. <laughs> okay, though. sorry. Oh, we were talking about
3: something else. Then. No, <laughs> no, no,
2: no. <laughs> I, I described it to Melody. I said it's starring bisexual Drew Barrymore, but not that her character is bisexual. That she Drew is, yeah, is an out bisexual. Yeah, exactly.
3: <laughs> oh, because exactly. she, she knows I love Drew Barrymore, so I thought you were telling me about a role in which she plays a bisexual. No, no.
2: Anybody who's bisexual, I say <laughs> that before their name. I see. <laughs> yeah, just so just for bi visibility. Mm-hmm. I you know? love it. Just, I love
1: it. Darcy Cardin, <laughs> bi visibility as well.
2: I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that until some deep Googling recently. Uh, Actually, when I saw that she was involved in A League of Their Own, I was like, is she? Uh, Yeah, anyone
3: attached.
2: Great.
1: Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) How has your directorial style evolved over the years?
1: I mean, I definitely have gotten more um, loose about just being able to watch a scene in rehearsal and know how to shoot it in my head where I feel like when I was younger, I didn't have the skill to do that. So I would have to prepare a lot more beforehand because I, I couldn't see the shots in my head. Now I like think and shot construction, which is um, great to be able to be like so well-versed in filmmaking that I can like see the way it will visually play out piece by piece. Um, so that has changed. I think I'm probably a mix of be prepared, but also let the magic come. Cause you just don't know. And if like, I think most directors are control freaks, but the truth is if you control it too much, then it can lose its magic. Like you also have to let people bring what they have and be surprised by things just like in life. It's like, you know, it's good to have a plan and like try to do stuff that you want to do but also be aware that like an opportunity could literally be right in front of your face. And if you're just so worried about the plan in your head, you won't see it. So oh, like yeah. just trying to be s- relaxed on set so that you can like feel the opportunity that's happening right there and be able to capture it. So I think I've gotten more relaxed just because I'm more comfortable. Cause it's like, now it's been 20 years of just sitting on set all day. So I also think I've gotten nicer to be honest. I think I was, like, a little tougher in the beginning, Um, mostly just because I was so controlling and, like, nervous that I wasn't going to have a career. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think there was, like, a certain kind of pressure on, like, a young woman that people are like, oh, you're an extra? Like, go to, you know, this part of the studio. I'm like, no, I'm the director. (laughs) Like, fuck you, you know? So I was just always a little worried that people weren't taking me seriously. So I felt like I had to be more kind of in charge, where now I'm just, like, it's fine. Like people will like, listen to me. I'm not like worried about it. So, um, so I, I feel like I've gotten nicer, which is good. Uh, and, and I think, yeah, it would be interesting to talk to crew people to see what they would say. But, um, <laughs> my mom was like, she ran, she was a doctor and she ran the rehab and she was very controlling and very good at her job, but, and her patients really loved her, but she was pretty tough. So I know I have that in me for sure, like it becomes very natural to me to like order people around and stuff. And I know it because I would watch my mom growing up, and she was so it was so easy to for her to order a lot of people around.
3: It feels like a what about Bob situation. They would come over your house, her patients, and oh like- yeah. <laughs>
1: No boundaries, baby. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yeah, no boundaries, no boundaries. Yeah, my mom wanted to give her staff the holidays off, so she would invite all the patients to our house for the holidays. Oh,
3: wow. (laughs) That seems like, um, yeah, Like a childhood rich with stories.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I used to always say like I would walk through my hallways in high school and like the most sketched out kids, like really fucked up kids that you could see were like barely getting by. They were like so drugged out. Um, I knew they were going to be at my house at Christmas.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Were, Were you also trying to clock who the queer people were? I feel like that's that would be me.'d be like, or any <laughs> of Not these the rehab got.
1: kids. I was like the rehab kids, it was very dark, you know, addiction yeah. is really hardcore. Um yeah. I think the queer kids I was surrounded by in theater, like I you know, that's oh, that's right. yeah, like I ate lunch in the theater <laughs> room and it was like, you know, the twenty gay kids. We were all there. right.
2: yeah in terms of queer narratives, whether it's like TV or movies, is there anything that you're just like tired of seeing? Or stuff you want to see more of?
1: I mean, I, I'm very interested in subversive things. So I'm, like, interested in, like, I loved that Jane Campion movie, The Piano, about, like, basically a woman who gives sex to learn how to play the piano. But kind of loves it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, like, erotic. You know, and then there's this other kind of weird SM movie called The Night Porter, which is um, about this woman who works, Charlotte Rampling, who works at a hotel front desk. And the guy who goes to check in is like um, this hot German uh, businessman. And then you basically realize that she was um, in a concentration camp and he was her soldier but they had this like really weird, Mm -hmm. erotic uh, sexual relationship. (laughs) It's such a weird movie, but I highly recommend it. It's called The Night Porter. (laughs) But anyway, I would like to see more gay movies that are subversive, like just doing weird shit that I just feel like sexuality and people are so complex. It doesn't necessarily have to be dark, but I'm interested in just the complexity of sexuality and, you know, how we're all just weird. And I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by all that stuff. So I feel like a lot of European movies have obviously delved more into that realm. Um, but it's one of the things I loved about Lena on girls. Um, Mm, just, just what a weirdo she is, you know, and that she was (laughs) like, yeah, I'm going to tell about my relationship where my boyfriend was like kind of abusive, but I was like really into it, you know, like, she just was very honest about all the weird stuff that has happened to her. And I just really appreciate that kind of honesty.
3: Yeah. I, re- I liked tiny furniture. When I became aware of her, I remember stalking her and reading interviews where she actually talked about, but I'm a cheerleader,
1: a lot. <laughs> oh, really? That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was so excited because I had been like stuck kind of directing crappy network shows, which was really just like sexism at play. Like it was just really hard as a woman to get a good job in like HBO or, you know, those better networks. And um, because Lena was a fan of cheerleader, she hired me on girls. So I, I just like needed the younger generation to get more powerful to hire me. Basically,
2: <laughs> is it getting better for women directors? Oh my god! I so know they're still better.
1: A- Long ways to go, but so much better. So much better.
2: It seems, I mean, I always, you know, watch through the credits of everything and more and more. And maybe it's just the things I'm drawn to, but I'm noticing so much more. So many more names. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, we're everywhere. It's pretty great. So, I mean, honestly, me too, like, open the floodgates. It was like when I went to film, when I was taking film classes, my classes were like 80% guys, and there were always like two or three of us in the class. So I took classes at NYU and Julie Delpy and myself were like the two women in the class. And we're both like having careers, which is pretty great. But honestly, now film schools are like 50-50, if not more women. And um, and they're actually getting work because the studios and everyone got shamed into hiring them. Yeah. And then they did a great job. So then they're like, yeah. oh, right. And like the movie I'm most excited about, well, I'm really excited on Thanksgiving weekend about Clea's Christmas movie, but then I'm also really excited about Wonder Woman on Christmas. Like, how cool is that? Yes. Yeah. It'll be fun. So
2: excited for that.
3: I just wanted to wrap up with um, maybe any advice you would have for our listeners. I know there's always the standard, like, just do it. Just do it on your own. But if there's... Any other advice you might have for listeners um, who might be, yeah, interested in filmmaking who might be overcorrect or just like too in their head?
1: Yeah. And I think that that's a typical like female problem for sure. Like we're perfectionists or we don't think we're like good enough to be a director because like I don't know what I'm doing yet. So how could I call myself like in charge? I will say I did not go to film school, but I took a lot of film classes. And the reason I took a lot of film classes is so that I could make the films in the class. Because Mm -hmm. you have, number one, a deadline. Number two, a group of people who have to help Mm -hmm. you. Number three, equipment. Number four, uh, all the classes I took, I just took by signing up for them like in the summertime or... um, on, you know, Tuesdays and Thursday nights, like actually the script for But a Cheerleader I wrote after I signed up for a screenwriting class at UCLA Extension. And it was Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I just knew that if I took that class, when I finished, I would have like a draft of the script because I had a, I had a deadline. I had like some just basic um, structure in place, which I needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I have always done that. And like my short films I made as part of an NYU class that I took during the summer, like all those extension classes. I took extension classes at UCLA, NYU, SVA, um, the film, uh, New York film Academy, like all those places I did. And so even the short films on the extras of cheerleader I made in those extension classes, So, because it is hard to like get a group of people that are going to help you and and be empowered enough to ask people to work for free and stuff. But when you're in that class environment, especially those extension classes, it's like military people and older people and just people who are interested in making something. And I just always took them seriously because I was paying for them myself. And it was like way after college, I was taking Mm -hmm. them. So, um... So yeah, I think, and it's good to get, have deadlines. Honestly, deadlines are really important. So great. that's my advice. Love it. Great. Thank you. Well, listeners,
2: we hope you all go and check out the director's cut of But I'm a Cheerleader. It's coming out December
1: 8th. Not sure.
2: <laughs> Jamie, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure.
1: I love diking out with you guys. It was super fun. And um, thank you so much for talking to me today.
2: Yeah, take care. We look forward to seeing more of your work.
1: Yay! <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.
2: I feel like we have to mention, Melody, that during that whole interview, Jamie was wearing a red and black plaid pajama pants. So gay.
3: Mm-hmm. And she had her knee up. She was kind of sitting weird like I do, which is supposed yes. to be a bisexual thing since we <laughs> learned in our BuzzFeed quiz last week. But... She had the weird sit.
2: It was great. That was so much fun. And I had the most fun preparing for that interview because not only did I watch the director's cut, but I also watched the original uh, the day before. So I watched But I'm a Cheerleader twice. Yep. I I watched Addicted to Fresno. I watched Breaking the Girls. I still haven't seen Itty Bitty Titty Committee. I can't find it streaming anywhere, but I will
3: track it
2: down. Someone called Dan Levy because we gotta track something down. <laughs> you can follow us on social media at Diking Out. Please DM Melody and uh, at Melody Kamali to bully her into posting more TikTok content. Uh, she won't do it for me, but maybe she'll do it for a U-Hauler. So please go uh, follow Melody Kamali on Instagram and bully her on my behalf. If I get five DMs
3: this week from U-Haulers, I'll make a TikTok. <laughs> do you like how I'll only do things with ultimatums like this? if we get x amount of instagram followers we'll make a
2: tiktok <laughs> it's a weird kind of love language but uh now that i know the code or <laughs> in bly manner i know your key now <laughs> it's ultimatums
3: <laughs> yeah
2: yeah you can follow me at tgi carolyn follow us at Diking out and uh at Diking out pod on tiktok thank you so much for Diking out with us this week and we will we will see you next tuesday